how do you manage the right balance between pushing teams to a direction that you know is good and healthy for the company because you have a broader long-term strategic vision and you understand the players in the market versus having that be counter to the relationships you're trying to build because oftentimes pushing is not necessarily the best way to build a relationship internally. And so finding that right balance can always be challenging. Welcome to Inorganic, where we talk about all things inorganic and indirect growth for hyperscale SaaS companies. I'm your host, Christian Hasselt. And on this show, I open source everything I've learned over my 24-year career of building companies. Our guests are exclusively those who have been through the same journey and know how to cheat gravity and accelerate growth. All right, welcome back to Inorganic. My name is Christian Hasselt. I'm your host. Thanks so much for joining me again. Today, we're going to do a AM&A, which is essentially ask the expert type of a, a conversation. And I'm uh, joined by a really great guest who I actually met uh, a few months back at a trade show. Um, we hit it off right away. He has real, real solid um, BD chops. And that conversation led into some email back and forth. And uh, I'll kind of get into the story in a little bit, but why don't I get started by introducing him? His name's Alicia Wall. Um, He's got a great background. He worked at my friend's company, Alice, which is a Boston-based startup. Uh, And then prior to that, um, ran strategic partnerships at Vidyard. But I thought it'd be just great to let him introduce himself and kind of set up his background and kind of where he is right now. So Alicia, welcome to the pod. Please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. And I have to say, what a great name, AMA. Um, definitely what we're here for to talk about today. Um, like you mentioned, you know, I've had tons of experience in working in business development. In, in tech these days, there's a lot of notion around um, do you partner, do you build it yourself, or do you buy the company? And ultimately, I think there's a ton of folks out there who have that experience in business development, like myself. We've worked with key partners, many of which who could be future acquisition targets. But uh, without the experience, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that you need to go into. So excited to spend some time with you today and talking a little bit more about it. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome to have you here. Maybe you just set up for the audience kind of where you are right now and what you're focused on. Yeah, definitely. So today I'm focused on kind of leading partnerships at a Series A company, I'd say about 100 employees, and we're really kind of taking a lot of traction on right now. One of the things that I'm focused on is building partnerships with both strategic partners that are integrations, as well as agencies and brokers as well. So really taking on a a pretty large gamut of types of partners. But in the space, there's a lot of competition, and there's also going to be a lot of consolidation in the next couple of years. And so there's definitely partners that we're focusing on that are strategic, technology, uh, but aren't as big as us. And in future raises and rounds, there may be the potential to make the case of raising more to potentially purchase one of these companies um, to help make us a better, more competitive solution. So right now, I'm in the focus of building partnerships that could be potential future acquisitions. Um, And so it's really been an interesting space, really exciting time uh, to be at a company that's getting this level of growth. Uh, to have an opportunity like this. Yeah. So you're at uh, this this company you're at is Vividly. And what does Vividly yes. do? Yeah. So we're actually uh, a company that helps CPG companies, food and beverage in particular, do discounting at grocery stores like uh, Walmart or Whole Foods. Um, today, for the most part, all these discounts and what they call promotions in the industry are managed in Excel documents. So if you think about you know our, our the MarTech tech 
tech landscape, there's a lot of technology. And in CPG, it's really been trailing. So uh, this is essentially like being the first CRM for CPG companies. Um, and as part of that, if you can think about the CRM landscape, is bringing data in, bringing in other apps and tools and technologies to help make the solution a lot stronger. Yeah, and so the backstory is, yeah, I've been in commerce for 17 years. Vividly is in the commerce space. You're working with a CPG FMCG buyer, which um, if you're selling enterprise, like that's definitely a high value target type of a, a customer base. And, you know, we met at this trade event, but then I, I was uh, traveling a few months back to, to uh, con for a meeting, a few meetings with Amazon and to meet with some other partners. And I was like triple delayed at Heathrow airport. And we had like scheduled and rescheduled and tried to get on a phone call. And as I'm boarding, as my can't delayed flight is uh, boarding, we got on the phone for a few minutes, said, you know, I, I've got some questions about sort of this, this sort of hybrid um, function of strategic business development and kind of putting a corporate development lens on it. Like, what are the, what are the right ways to do things? How do you sort of build pipeline at this stage of company? And you had mentioned your Series A uh, prior and like, so how do you think about it? And I get these questions a lot, like just in the elevators, in the hallways as I'm traveling around. And so I asked you, like, would it be cool if we could go on um, this pod that I'm launching and actually do this, like, ask the expert episode? One, because I'd love to just sort of get this out there. And two, like, I consider myself an expert, but a lot of people will answer these questions differently. So let's get it out there and allow, you know, the audience to comment in and ask questions offline and um, just kind of create, uh, you know, help rise the tide for the whole ecosystem. So I really appreciate you being game for for doing this live because it's um, kind of putting out there a little bit of what you don't know. But we're all learning. This this is changing. Ten years ago, if you had told a VC that you know when you were a Series A that you were even thinking about M and A, you were thinking about deploying any capital into M and A, they would have looked at you really funny. So. We're at a time where all of that has changed. There's simply way too many startups that, for one reason or another, don't get past Series A or get to early Series B and need to find an alternative route. And it just makes sense for almost every stage of startup, once you have product market fit, once you've built an early stage selling machine to start asking questions, are there ways that, ways that I can accelerate growth? or expand my product offering or, you know, any one of those questions. So yeah, with that setup, like, let's get into it. You've, you've got some questions. So let's, let's start. Yeah. I think one of the first things is, and and this is great because there are a lot of people and there's a big focus on channel sales right now. I think it's good, right? I think like partnering is the way to go. Building an ecosystem is the way to go. But as that ecosystem expands, uh, I think there's a lot of folks in biz dev similar to myself that are asking, well, um, how do I build that corporate, you know, development function and skill? Um, what what necessities do I need as a prerequisite to do the analysis and, and to do that well? Do I need to take a step back? So I think like starting there is probably a great point, which is like if you've got the experience in understanding the landscape, the ecosystem, you understand which type of partners exist in there, and you're trying to build build that corp dev skill. What's the first place you should look? Is it further schooling, finance courses? Um, how would one make a, a successful career transition and setting themselves up to have the prerequisites to be successful from a knowledge and skills perspective? So this is a really great question you ask foundationally about how do you think about M&A at this stage? 
And so the prerequisite question I'll ask you first, maybe just to kind of qualify a little bit more is, one, how strongly convicted do you feel about product market fit, where it is right now? And the second qualifying question I'll ask is, are you focused principally on enterprise SMB or kind of a combination of both? Uh, I'd say we have a very strong product market fit. But one of the things is that we are traditionally an SMB mid-market and we are going towards enterprise. Yep. I think part of it also comes down to what skills do I as a, as a person need to build in the meantime to properly evaluate when the situation is right on whether that, that's the right strategy to take for our company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the re- just to kind of uh, predecessor questions, like asking kind of lay of your universe and the, the one other one I'll ask is, do you, does the, do you vision that kind of the product that you have will be sort of the product for the company long term? Or do you envisage that more pieces will need to come together? There'll be, need to be more of sort of a platform approach in the future. Yeah, I think it's definitely taking more of a platform approach. There are a couple of players that are quite small in the space. We're yeah. talking one, two, three people shops that have yep. built good products. And the question is, is if, do we partner with them? Do we build exactly what they've built already? If they've already built it and it's good and they have customers, should we just buy them um, and integrate that into our product from that platform vision? Yeah, so I think that the first question you're asking was sort of about you and sort of the role. And when you're when you're at this stage, like you're in an interesting spot where there's probably not a competitive in a, a formal competitive analysis function within the company. So by proxy, you're sort of doing that. I mean, products should be looking at the market and gaining an assessment of competition, but you find yourself, first of all, sort of using your your network and your understanding of the space to kind of build that competitive assessment. And so that's that's part of it. And that in of itself is skill building. Like it's one thing to have a list of competitors. It's one to understand more deeply shape and size, where they're selling into and that's like, so I think that's one skill that you want to build on. The next one is really making, um, really kind of understanding what are the right partnerships for the company at the time. There are two types of partnerships, right? There's, there's go-to-market partnerships and there's marketing partnerships. Go, marketing partnerships are super easy. You can just say, hey, we're we're partnering and we have similar customers. We're going to do webinars together we might do a case study on like when we these two products that are sort of roughly related to one another you can talk about how the clients are successfully using them together think about like a NetSuite and an Avalara as an example really clear complementary story and then you can talk more deeply about a GTM partnership where you're actually selling something together which is much much harder to scale yeah. You want the top of funnel opportunity that comes from the marketing partnerships, but the um, developing those into GTM takes a lot more muscle and a lot more energy. And when you're Series A and even Series B, the one thing that you're trying to protect and one of the skills that you need to have is the ability to identify how much you can put on your sales organization without distracting them from executing on the growth that they have in front of them. A GTM partnership ultimately adds distraction. If you're going to do it well, you're going to have to enable the team. 
You're going to have to do cross-functional enabling between the two organizations. Who's going to do that? Are you going to carry that ball? The more you take on, the more that you need to do. So it's like doing that market assessment and then assessing where there are potential partner opportunities and what kind of partner opportunities and then rationalizing of the ones that are out there, what are the ones and for the why? Sort of like what would be the end state? Some of them are truly where you think that the two solutions put together are highly complementary. And I'll give an example in my prior role at Salsify, we had spent a lot of time with Profitero, a digital shelf analytics provider, because syndication of content and measurement and benchmarking of that content made a, a whole lot of sense um, at that time. Over time, like Salsify eventually built a lot of that capability, so it became a little bit competitive. And so you might want to think about where you are and where you want to be, and it's okay to start somewhere and then maybe change your strategy um, later on. You just kind of have to have that short and long-term kind of thinking laid out. But I think as you're going back to like the, the skill set side of it, if you will, is really the fundamental skill of corporate development is assessing the landscape around you, really getting to know deeply what is actually going on in those businesses. Cardinal mistake yeah. is making assumptions about what they are or are not doing, making assumptions about um, competition being the enemy or how they think about you. This distinct role of hybrid BD corp dev is to just build relationships and open the doors that make sense to open. And don't be shy about asking um, hard questions or asking questions that may others may, may shy away from doing. Your relationship building. And as you had sort of pointed out, when you are encountering, you know, these three, four, five, ten person companies, you don't know where they are, what their plans are, and you don't know when they'll get into a situation where they may want your help. And so the third leg of the function is not just to build those relationships, but it's to be a resource, whether that is a resource for introductions to investors whether it's a resource for helping them find people that can help complement their team. You might interview somebody for your company that's not a fit, and if it makes sense, you might make introductions in that way. So the way that you kind of build out all of that muscle is developing the network, developing the relationships, and being a resource because what you want is to be that person that they call back when they need help. Yeah. That's super helpful. Uh, um, and yeah, it kind of sets a good landscape of how you should be thinking about building a partner program. I think oftentimes the things that we're thinking about as partner people, especially if you've had tech integration experiences, definitely understanding the players in the market, determining who you want to invest time in the short and long term. Um, but I think what gets missed is on the long term, you don't necessarily have to have all the questions right in terms of how you pivot your strategy. I think that's one of the tough things is, you know, if you have two products that I think generally companies at this stage don't have a good definition of where their product is going in the next two or three years and how that might collide or complement each other. And so understanding that long tail vision sometimes can be a little bit tough. I was curious if you've had any experience with, with that uh, in itself in terms of, you know, you set a short-term partnership, you know that it's going to be pretty profitable or good for driving revenue in the short term. And you think you can make assumptions obviously on the long term, but it's often hard to get answers from the partner because 
they haven't defined it well enough to know where they're going to be in the long term from a product perspective. Yeah. Because how do you deal with that challenge to then determine whether this is somebody you want to invest all that time in upfront? Yeah, and what you're, what you're touching on there is uh, the strategy of the company and yeah. where, how far out they're looking. Uh, again, you're, if you're A or B, if you can have sort of that three or four year vision of sort of where you're going, but the practical reality is internally you probably have you know, an 18 month plan at best, um, maybe 24, but I'd say, you know, you're, you're, you're working on a much shorter iteration of, and uh, growth cycle. What's the thing that's kind of um, going to bring you next year into the, like the next year's plan, if you will. And so I think the other thing that this brings up is the element of alignment with the leadership team. BD role is one of those few roles where you really do have to build great relationships around the company because in in many ways you're a bit of a a bit of a seer for the team on what else is out there and and also helping think about strategy. I would expect the CEO the, the, or the product leadership or a combination of to have a really strong grip on the strategy of the business and it's important that the leadership team, the C-suite, has alignment on the strategy, which surprisingly, in a lot of companies, even into late stage, you will find they get misaligned fairly frequently. And if there's misalignment, it means a lot of challenge for the BD role because your mandate becomes less clear. Or let's say you do want to do a GTM partnership, but the head of sales is not aligned with a partnership you're working on, so you're not going to get sales traction. Or product doesn't have clarity on, doesn't have bandwidth to support a GTM partnership where product integration is required. Like those lack of alignments are risks to um, execution. So part of you know, that other muscle of the role is really building, building those cross-functional relationships and calling out to your leadership when misalignment is something that's getting in your way. I think the, the trap that we fall into sometimes is one to try and solve everything immediately. Um, and, and so I'd say the other principle of being in this role is just knowing when to, to put a bookmark in it and come back when it's the right time. Some things are not the right time and um, having the patience to sort of let um, some of the, you know, whether it's a headwind on the business or whether it's just internal disagreements, let them work themselves out and come back to things when the time is right. Yeah, you bring up some really good points there in terms of BD is often the, the function that sees the misalignment first. And it's definitely important to push on making sure that that is aligned in terms of what the vision is, because you're right, it's hard to do the job and find the right partners when you're not sure how it's going to support the teams that you're hoping to support internally because they haven't defined what they're looking for or, um, you know, the strategy is not going to solve for what three teams are looking for. Um, It might be misaligned in terms of opposites of what team can do, what, what a product team can do versus what a sales team can support um, in terms of going to market. I think one of the things that you called out, which I'd love to dig into a little bit further, is um, you don't need to solve it right away. So how do, you, how do you manage the right balance between pushing teams to a direction that you know is good and healthy for the company because you have a broader long-term strategic vision and you understand the players in the market versus yeah. 
having that be counter to the relationships you're trying to build because oftentimes pushing is not necessarily the best way to build a relationship internally. And so finding that right balance can always be challenging. How have you dealt with that experience? Yeah, I mean, so practical prioritization in early stage SaaS especially, your metrics are the things that matter most. ARR growth, GDR, NDR, product stickiness. So I, I think the the th- the way you kind of have to think about it, your own prioritization, is the one thing that you're doing should lean into the priorities of the company. So mm-hmm. if the company has said, let's just say right now it's it's September 2023, budgets are really tough with all of the prospects and customers that we have. So whether it's retention or growth, you know, GDR is a tricky metric to manage right now. So my guess is if you're a CEO out there, you're really worried about GDR and you're looking at ways to make sure you keep your GDR numbers as as high as they possibly can be, you know, at least 100, if not more, 100% or more. And so as you're thinking about the things that you would prioritize, it's prioritizing against, you know, the North Star of of the CEO. Now, not every single thing that you might work on will have that sort of clear black and white kind of thing. But then your next thing is really looking at the leaders around you, whether it's head of marketing or head of sales. What are their, like, number two and number three goals. It's frequent to me that it's it's a frequent experience for me in the past is whether it's the head of marketing or the head of um, sales will say, I really need help with like every time we get into a sales process and this company is here, it slows down my sales process. Can we open up a relationship with them and figure out how to co-sell well together? Like that would be an example case or Marketing will say, we need more top of funnel. And this other company is really great at top of funnel. We seem complimentary. Can you help crack open a relationship where we do some more marketing marketing together? So top of funnel contribution, I think, is one of those other outsized things that you can be doing on the BD front um, when other things um, need to take a back seat. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think those really hit on the short-term side of strategy, right? Like yeah. We obviously, focus metrics like net retention and revenue. Yeah. I yeah. think the, especially in go-to-market partnerships, the transition between that short-term and long-term, and even towards the acquisition, I think that's when things start to become a little bit more fuzzy in terms of yeah, how should I prioritize this? This partner might drive me more revenue, but they're not the greatest. They might drive me more revenue in this quarter, or that aligns to the goals of the company, but that revenue is going to tail off eventually because there's only so many customers they have or maybe it's mm-hmm. not something strategic that we can build product together or go to market with together in the long run um, while it might be beneficial today. So balancing that with the long term in terms of, well, which type of partner is, while they might not be able to generate as much revenue today, they might be harder to lift to co-sell with. Um, but if we can build something strategic, it may lend to possible strong product integration, maybe even a merger down the line. Yeah. Um, balancing that, I think, is always a tricky challenge. And I think it leads into the little bit on the M&A side as well. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of where, especially my interest is, is lying is like, how do I balance that short-term revenue with those long-term partners that could potentially be an M&A target? 
I think it's less about balance and it's more, you know, once we, we've talked about prioritization, but, you know, you're now thinking about it through the lens of, you know, how do I assess the future long-term potential of these, of these relationships? So I think, you know, going back to your assessment of the space and your building relationships with those founders and understand where they're going, I think one thing is, is foremost, you must know where the where the founder where the leadership of a a potential M&A target are headed there will be some companies that are like we are absolutely going public or our intent is to grow to 100 million ARR and be acquired by Oracle for this reason um so understanding their intentions helps kind of inform where you focus your energies not all teams are everyone says they're going to go public or everyone says you're going to but you can kind of get you can get time with them and really get an assessment of just how confident they are in their plan and how confident you are in their plan. So a little bit of that assessment and prioritization goes into this thinking. So once you've kind of done that and you've built a partnership, what you're, what you're doing is you're actually creating a funnel. So in another episode, I talk about the M&A funnel. And one of the things you do at top of funnel is develop partnerships where you're testing can can you learn with one another? So I'd be like thinking about how well do we work with one another? Are we actually successfully selling with one another? Does one and one equal three when they're using our product and their product customers are having are much more happier, they're sticking around longer. We're able to take on a capability that we otherwise would have to build, or it's something that's too adjacent and off roadmap. Like you're seeing more and more synergies develop. And it's actually one of the best ways to build M&A pipeline is to actually develop like a 12 to 24 month, like a relationship over time where you establish trust. Because the hard part about M&A, once it becomes actionable, is it becomes a pretty intense negotiation about how much and who and, you know, what are the roles down the road and there are a lot of questions for the acquired about the future of the company and where they fit in. And the more that you're solving all of those questions as you go through the process, the more you're creating potential for high potential for a successful actual M&A candidate. So I, you kind of asked that question. Now I'll sort of ask back to you, like, how does that map against what you've been doing? Where do you feel the gaps are? I think one of the strong things that, I think the process is pretty similar, right? Especially the short-term goals and partnerships these days, you know, it can't always be long-term thinking. It has to be short-term, especially companies need revenue today. They need pipeline today. So I think uh, it aligns pretty well with analyzing the market, understanding who the players are, figuring out who we should co-market with because there's no go-to-market function there. Pipeline is good. Then there's ones that are a little bit more strategic on the short-term side. Maybe there's some long-term product visions that we share together. I think the tough part is understanding and assessing the long-term strategy and building the relationships. I think today, because T&E budgets are so tight, I think it's often difficult with partners to build a long-term relationship without sometimes spending longer times with them, mm. uh, things like meeting them in person at conferences. And so yeah. I think there's almost, I'm not sure if there's been an underinvestment, but you're doing all the work that you need for your businesses, but you're not investing enough time in the relationship, it feels, at least on, in my stage. And so yeah. I was curious if, you run into that challenge where like you need to spend long hours together getting to know each other to really take it to that next level to assess that that long-term strategy. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really translate the whole process to something very similar to an enterprise sales process. At the top of the funnel, like if I'm an AE 
I'm sourcing my own leads. I'm going to talk to 100 prospects before I find five good leads. Rough example, right? And those five leads I'm going to assess. I've already prioritized who I'm going after. We've talked about that. I've already now rounded down to like the five ones that I'm really going to pursue. For each one of those, I kind of create a program. And the program is a little variable, Somewhere it's like, it's just really clear this should be a marketing. Some some it's clear this is GTM and some there's nothing we can do right now together. But how am I going to sort of build that long-term relationship? Your personal touch and how you resource and um, deploy your time towards building relationships with the business is one element. But the other is opening up doors to the other members of your leadership team. So I give you a couple of, like we call these, um, Keeson Patel, who runs m Science Podcast, he comes up with, he has a book that's got what, I, what he calls plays in there. So I'll sort of borrow off this idea of a play. Like play one is, if the founder CEO of the target company is like trying to raise a round and your CEO has just finished raising a round, get them together and say, hey, would you like some advice on raising this round, like on engaging with those investors? Another play is the you're engaging with maybe the more product-oriented founder at the target, and they're thinking about roadmap, and they want someone to bounce ideas off of. They have a problem, like make uh, an introduction to someone on your product team who's open to having a conversation and sharing ideas. It's really kind of developing ways for there to be cross-pollination between the two companies, um, whether it's at a trade event or even if you're local together, like maybe plan a social together, especially if you feel like there's a little bit more potential for cohesion between the companies. Um, That's kind of a higher bar sort of activity to carry out. But, you know, it's uh, you're kind of the orchestrator. You're sort of setting up a party that's going to go on for a long time and you're kind of getting everybody to mingle with one another but the other, the other thing about this is, is uh, it's hugely important, is never assume that anybody on the other side is going to naturally know what they need to accomplish. So what I do for my CEO whenever I set up a meeting for him is I, I set up a one-pager. Who are you meeting? Like, who are they? What do they care about? And um, what is success for this meeting? Every meeting has that. And when I feel that it's required, I do the same kind of briefing with the person I'm introducing them to. Like, look forward to meeting our CEO just so you know what he's like. He's three minutes late for his meetings almost all the time. Don't take offense to it. Um, Here's the questions he'll probably ask. And here's the things I'd love for you to talk to him about that I think will really resonate with us. You really have to go beyond just sort of smashing two people together but actually setting up for success those interactions. And what's going to yeah. come out of that, the, the exhaust, if you will, like the data exhaust, is going to be, that was a really great meeting. Um, I want to accelerate that partnership. I really like what they're doing. Or the other side is like, I don't really think that there's a fit here. Um, like, I'm glad you're looking at it, but kind of park that one and use that feedback to help kind of continue to iterate your funnel. So again, going back to that enterprise funnel, you're working your way through and as you get to what's sort of in your, your mid funnel, which is those relationships you're building, you're prioritizing what's going to get closer to the bottom. And over time, I think what you'll find is it will become really clear through those exercises, through those plays, what are the ones that are really worth 
more investment and then um, advancing into a more serious discussion about should there be a future together. I love that. I'm going to have to pull up uh, my, my AE funnel from the from my previous days and start to map out my partners in there to see where they fall into each of those. Yeah. I think it's a great mental exercise in general, but I think you're right. that The more you spend time creating those plays and orchestrating relationships between you know, that funnel, and the more you get deep down into it, you're going to naturally land at the bottom of that where it's probably going to come to you in terms of, wow, we should be doing something much deeper here with them. Um, and how are we thinking about our long-term roadmaps together. And in fact, I often find, at least in my previous experience, when, when there is an integration and you bring CEOs together and CTOs together, they start to have those conversations uh, naturally um, in terms of where, where their product roadmaps are going and um, considerations to think about and starting to make accommodations for that. So I think that makes a ton of sense. So we probably have time for one more topic before we need to wrap. What's, what do you, what's left over? What do you want to cover? Yeah, I think uh, in general, I think... This is getting experience for M&A by doing it the first time. Where should people that are going through this process and maybe they've reached that end of funnel and they're starting to start that, maybe they found two or three potential acquisition targets and now they need to do an analysis and get into that negotiation. If they've never had that experience or have that resource internal, where should they look externally to bring in a resource, maybe for that first acquisition or to assist uh, in part of that? Where should they look to, to get that education and knowledge? Yeah. So I, I, le- I love listening to podcasts. I mentioned M&A Science. M&A Science is generally targeted towards much, much larger companies in a much broader space, which is exactly why I started, started this podcast to really focus more on like SaaS and earlier, you know, growth stage, hyper growth stage types of companies. Um, but I like that podcast specifically because it just gives you a broad round way of thinking um, round about um, M&A. The, the, the second thing that I would say is the investors of your company are your partners in your success, and they need to be aligned that you're going to enact M&A. And many of them, many great investors um, like Insight and OpenView, they have teams who are there to help make you successful. So use their resources and use their tools and reach out to them and say, here's what I'm looking at and thinking about. Because as you actually get serious about enacting M&A, especially in like series A, B, and C, where it's really early and that muscle is not developed in your organization, you're going to need to resource from the outside, not just for the act of M&A itself, but also for post-merger integration, which is really critical to the success. More importantly, the permission of what can you do I'm like, what is the deal that you can do? Are you going to, can you do a cash deal? Are you going to do cash and stock deals? You really need to have a clear understanding. Your CEO most certainly should, if not needs to go get an idea of what they can do and what is possible. You know, it's like a, a part of this funnel and this qualification process we didn't talk about is if you're series A and you have 10 million cash in the bank and the company that you're targeting has raised 40 million you know, like it's probably a really hard deal to do. But if you're looking at a company that's raised like three and a half million um, and you've got 10 million in the bank, maybe you've raised 15 or 18 or something like that, you're talking about something that's much more actionable. It's probably a stock or, uh, or a, a stock and cash deal. Like you really do need yeah. that guidance and interaction with investors. So I would say those are the low lying fruit sort of resource points um, that I would touch other than following this podcast. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, I think that's a great, great call out, right? Talk to your, talk to your investors, make sure that you're constantly communicating to them your ideas and your thoughts here and, and get their guidance because you're going to need their support at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really great questions. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you for coming in and taking the time to do it. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I feel like I learned a ton here. I've got a lot, of, a lot of things to think about over the next two weeks, that's for sure, as I'm starting to do next year planning. All right, well, thank you for coming on the pod and, and asking these questions. It was really bold and you know, just kind of making yourself a little bit vulnerable, like asking what you don't know. It's really appreciated by me, and I know it was appreciated by those um, who are listening. For you, the audience, um, really appreciate you joining. You know, in summary, we're talking about you know, really, how do you kind of build that early stage corporate development function inside a Series A, a Series B company? How should you be thinking about your funnel, looking at potential prospects, um, using partnerships as a path for developing M&A funnel over a longer period of time and building those relationships internally to make sure that you can make yourself successful and ultimately the company's successful in achieving its growth objectives. So um, thanks for joining. If you enjoyed the episode, please do like and subscribe. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Inorganic. Thank you for listening to the Inorganic Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes and description for a rundown of today's show and all the important links. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let's continue the conversation on my LinkedIn. I'm Christian Hasseld. Happy scaling.